everybody, and welcome back to episode 90, Ooh. 9-0 of the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. Hi, my name is Dustin. And I'm Lakeisha. And welcome back to the Beer Reviewing Movie Reviewing Podcast, of which I discovered we're not the only ones. But I'll talk about that later. <laughs> in Portland. We're in not Port- the only ones Not in even the only ones in our own city. Right. Incredible. Uh, but this week, we are back with uh, the next installment of our, uh, essentially our Godzilla series. Right. Uh, last week, we did the 2014 uh, eponymous Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And this week, we're reviewing the brand new Godzilla. King of the Monsters. Came out just this year from Legendary Pictures. The sequel to that movie also involves... Uh, Kong Skull Island is part of that universe. Mm-hmm. Did we review Kong Skull Island? I don't think we did. Pretty sure we did not. I think that was pre the podcast. Interesting. I feel like we might need to now since it fits into this collection. Yeah. And soon there will be another installment of uh, Godzilla. Right. Right? That's presumably. Godzilla versus King Kong. Kong. Hopefully it still happens. I think it is. I mean, it's slated. It's scheduled to, come out. to yeah. yeah, yeah. So we might have to come back and go do Skull Island. For, yeah, we might have to. I only ever saw that the one time we went and saw it in a theater, but I'm pretty sure that was before we actually started podcasting. We'll have to go look it up. Yeah. All right, but before we uh, get into uh, monster talk, uh, we we uh, got a couple beers to review. Yes, we do. And I think um. I'll go first. God, I'm so bad at remembering this. Yes. I'm pretty... Um, Go first. It's fine. I will go first. I think we're each going to maybe sample each other's. Correct. Uh, so, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and describe uh, what I have. I have the Fort George uh, Three-Way IPA. Mm-hmm. And if you've heard us talk about this before, it's because you have. Uh, the Three-Way IPA has become uh, kind of a summer uh, beer that... All sorts of uh, beer snobs look forward to. Yes. It's a different every year, uh, but it always involves the Fort George Brewing from Astoria. It's in Astoria, Oregon, out on the coast. They always collaborate with two other breweries mm-hmm. to produce an IPA. It's always different. And right. this year it is quite different. As I recall last year's version being like a very thick, super hazy, like couldn't see through it. IPA. Cloudy IPA. And this is is definitely different. They collaborated with uh, a brewery called Ruse Brewing, which is from Portland. I've never heard of them before. Mm-hmm. And Cloudburst Brewing, which is a Seattle-based brewery. Uh, Ruse Brewing sounds interesting because they work with local artists and musicians to design beers paired with their art for concept events and beer releases, which sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty interesting. They had some pretty cool stuff on the labels that I saw on their website. Cloudburst Brewing has next to nothing on their website about what their brewery is all about. And so that's what they're going to get. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the, as far as the beer itself, again, it's very different from the last year's iteration. It's more, it's not quite as, it's not nearly as hazy as it was. It's kind of more of a traditional IPA. Mm-hmm. But it still has a little bit of the hazy kind of juicy flavor. Ooh. So it's more of a... And even they say this on the if you go to the Fort George website, they talk about how they did try to make more of it of a, a combination of you know the more juicy flavor of a of a hazy 
but also have like a bit of the bitterness of your traditional IPA. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, I like it. I think I even, I really liked last year's. I did too. I uh, really liked last I year's. But I think last year's also, man, there were, it tasted like it was almost straight up orange juice in a oh, can. Oh, see, I don't remember that. Well, maybe I'm confusing it with another, but I just remember it being like, I liked it, but it was also, man, it's almost too citrusy, where oh. this is more, I like the more kind of reversion back to a more traditional, traditional. beer, and I like the can. It has like uh, some cool jazz cats playing like instruments. Hip cats. Hip hip jazz aristocats. Uh, and yeah, and it's always something that everybody looks forward to. It is hard to find. Um, it is like uh, our local, one of our local tap houses close to us, the Orenco Tap House. I uh, asked uh, our friend Jared who works there and he said like they got a whole bunch of cans of it and they were gone in a day. Yeah. So. Well, I, I mean, I have traditionally really liked the Fort George three-way IPA and I remember really liking last year's. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I mean, I'm. I look forward to trying yours. Okay. Um, I have a very different yes, IPA. I've already tried yours this week. Yeah. Um, this beer is the Guava Mochi uh, India Pale Ale from Great Notion Brewery. Um, Great Notion is a Portland brewery. Mm-hmm. They have two brew pubs: one in the Alberta neighborhood, one in Northwest. So I'm excited to go check them out. Um, it doesn't say how long they've been around, mm-hmm. um, but it was started by three friends and neighbors in Portland, Oregon. Uh, they're really funny. They talk about how they offer hazy, fruit-forward IPAs and culinary-inspired sours and stouts. Mm. Which seems interesting. Um, I love their little, they have a little catchphrase with a passion for hops and the patience for sours. Mm. Uh, I don't know if patience is the word you need for sours. Well, I think, I mean, there are a couple that I really like. So I have, um, I'm intrigued by that. Okay. Um, I am, I'm, I am not sure how I feel about it's very this different. mochi IPA. It is um, a Japanese inspired IPA fermented with toasted rice, milk sugar, vanilla beans and guava this is a milkshake ipa yeah um and i actually have avoided milkshake ipas simply because um while i love milkshakes well who doesn't um i don't like milk and so just associating milk with my beer right kind of grosses me out okay right uh so yeah so this is my first foray into the milkshake ipa realm and i am going to have to say i don't know how i feel about this beer it is very sweet it's but different sweet yes but it has it has the guava like uh aftertaste to it Uh but it really i mean it tastes like uh there is milk sugar in there like for yes, I was gonna say know, that as well. You I definitely taste that. Definitely feel it. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna take some more sips and see how I feel about it. Uh huh. So we'll have to check in later in the podcast. Okay. So yeah, if anyone's ever had uh, the drink, I know it's interesting because it's Japanese inspired. Because if you ever had a horchata, 
which is a Mexican beverage. It reminds me of that. Hmm. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, so, yeah. About halfway through this podcast, let's check in and see okay. how I feel about we'll it. We'll see how it goes. All right. Okay. So, uh, controversy abounds to start. Um, and with that, we will get into uh, a little more, I don't know if we'll call it controversy, but Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Um, didn't do well critically upon its release. Yeah. A cu- we've, it's been out for a couple weeks. It's been out long enough that we had to go see it a second time. Right. <laughs> we saw it on opening night. Uh, and we're recording uh, far enough after that. We're like, we might need to see this again to properly correct uh, podcast about it. And so... Uh, so I'm... Uh, so like the I don't know what the the Rotten Tomato score isn't great. It's not doing very well at the box office, which is a bummer. Yeah. Because I believe we both really like this. Oh yeah, absolutely. I totally like it. So I yeah I can state uh, I enjoyed this movie. Um, I enjoyed it enough that I I wanted to see it. Again, because I definitely, I mean, part of it was time, like so much time. Well, so much, like less than two weeks. But um, time passed, but I definitely felt like I needed to see it again Uh to remember the pieces that maybe I didn't like, you know. Um, But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed this movie. I think it was quite entertaining. Yeah. So I look forward to talking about it. I don't yeah. know. I mean, what did you think? Yeah, I did. I liked it too. Um, I'm looking at Box Office Mojo, the website right now, and I don't know how accurate this is, uh, but they say that it had a production budget of 170 million dollars. It so far has made 78 million in the states, another couple hundred million overseas. Oh wow! So it's made a lot overseas, which helps. So not quite 300 million dollars overall, if this is any uh, thing to be believed. But I just remember like the. Rotten Tomato score upon like that first week was like around forty percent mm-hmm. or something, and I was just like, "Wow, yeah, what are we getting into?" What are we correct? And then we went and saw it, and I was like, "What is? What are people? What do people want out of this?" Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll talk about critical stuff later. Uh, let's get into our favorite things. Okay. Uh, so again, if you haven't listened to uh, us before, we've each come up with our fav- three favorite things about this movie. Haven't shared them with each other prior to this. Uh, and we'll go back and forth doing that. Spoiler alert for Godzilla King of the Monsters, as we don't care about your uh, tender spoiler feelings. If you haven't seen it yet, we'll not hold back on plot details as we talk about our favorite things. Right. And so with that, uh, my first favorite thing is just how big they went. I mean, they went... So the original, the well, not the original, the, the last movie, the 2014 Godzilla movie, was Godzilla fighting two other monsters that they just made up for the movie. Right. They called them the Mutos, right? The Mutos. Mutos. And, and that was it. This movie, during the opening credit sequence, they let you know how insane the world has gotten. Right. There are monsters all over the place. Eventually, someone from the Monarch organization says that there's 17 that they're aware of, and that's in addition to Godzilla. Right. And these monsters are either 
like haven't like awoken yet or they're in some sort of captivity or whatever it's not well they let us know that i mean the world at large doesn't know that right monarch does monarch, correct right correct. you know but just that it they went they they went from zero to a hundred miles an hour on like the oh, world yeah. on the world building of it being like uh because like i think eventually in the old godzilla movies like that toho the studio toho was making you know it kind of got that way there was a bunch of different monsters the world knew that all these monsters existed and, and etc and right. this went from you know they very could easily i think i'm surprised actually a little bit that a major american studio didn't just went like you know what for the next one it's just gonna be godzilla versus Ghidra, right and that'll be it but that they went no we're gonna put a zillion things in this or we're gonna put well essentially four monsters in this that you're gonna see regularly regularly but we're also gonna talk about all these other things that do exist the world building in this movie is pretty intense i mean and it on on one hand it allows It'll, it's going to allow the studio, should they greenlight things after Godzilla yeah. versus Kong, Kong, which is scheduled to come out next year. Right. Um, so it allows it to go into a ton of different directions uh, beyond that. But yeah, no, they, they kind of said, well, we introduced you to Godzilla and we introduced you to King Kong. Now we're going to give you like the world view all at once. Like, I mean, there was stuff I learned in the second viewing that I didn't know about in the, like I missed the first time. Mm -hmm. I didn't see it in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like, they just, let's not mess around and let's just go for broke. Right. With all the big, you know, with this, the monsters everywhere. So I really like that. Mm -hmm. I agree. It was kind of cool. I mean, it just was like, rather than it being like a, a random one-off and like, ooh, we are surprised when more monsters show up. Right. You know, it's very clear like, well, okay, so Monarch has really taken this seriously and has discovered a lot about what's happening mm-hmm. <clears throat> or what the world used to be like. And so I just wonder like, was are these the time after the dinosaurs, but really before, you know, humanity? Is what I'm thinking. Like, uh-huh. it definitely seems to be that bridge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what about you? What mm. is your, what are you going to have as your first uh, favorite, thing, favorite thing? So, I think one of the things I really like about this is the really diverse cast that okay. they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've got your, your primary leads, Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, and Millie Bo- uh, Bobby Millie Brown. Brown. Yep. And but then you have these, this really strong diverse supporting cast like Ken Watanabe, mm. of course, is amazing once again. Um, you have Ji Ji Zhang, yeah, um, who is uh, of the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon fame, right? Um, and she actually plays twins, which I totally didn't notice the first time around. Yeah, did you? Well, not the first time, but. The second, because I think I went to the bathroom um, and came back and was like, what's happening? Right. But this time I was watching it and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. That is a different doctor who is at Mothra's spot where, when Mothra comes out of her cocoon. Uh-huh. But that's Ji, 
Xi Jinping. Like that. What? Like I, I kind of like had this moment of just cognitive dissonance where I was like, "That is the same actress." And are they trying to just pretend that they're in a different place, like, location, all like, of a sudden, or are they just being like, "Well, we've hired her. I think we need a different Asian action actress." Maybe no she's already notice, here, right? You know. And so I was really confused. But then um, in this one. She shows, like, there's a scene where she kind of talks to Kyle Chandler's character about how she is third generation monarch. Oh, right. And she shows pictures. And she she has a twin sister. And that's where I was like, oh, click, 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 click. Because she right. shows a picture of her sister, of her and her sister. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until the second viewing that I was like, ah, twins. Got it. Right. See, I remember seeing that picture the first time around. I thought it was just weird. Because mm-hmm. in the old movies, there are these twins that had some sort of connection to Mothra that like, right. guided her or whatever, controlled her to some degree. And so she had these pictures of her family and there was twins going Everywhere. back, generations of twins. And I was like, well, it's weird that she's by herself. Mm-hmm. You know, that Mothra had these twins. They, her family has twins. Why, did, why is there not twins in this movie? But right. there was. They just, it was they, just, they didn't highlight just had it. To look, yeah, yeah. They had to look for it. Um, but then I think you have, um, like a totally badass Colonel, uh, Colonel Diane Foster and she's played by Aisha, Aisha Hines. Uh And, um, like she's a totally competent military commander of, uh, working with Monarch, right? Uh And, um, I mean, she comes out of it alive and typically, you know, if you've got the commander of the the ships that are going to be right in the middle of it with the monsters, they always go down in a blaze of glory, you Mm -hmm. know? But she doesn't. She commands her forces in and out of all of those battles. Um, And then you have O'Shea Jackson Jr. in it. Oh, yeah. Right? Very familiar face. Right. And I kept being like, why do I know know that face? Why do I know that face? Oh, it's Ice Cube's son. Yep. (laughs) Um, And then this time, in the first movie, I definitely saw this woman and I was like oh she's a badass um and that then when I watched it again I was like man Lieutenant Griffin who's the pilot oh right right, right okay, is yeah. also a badass mm-hmm. and that's played by Elizabeth Ludlow um and who was in uh Walking Dead so in several episodes later seasons it's, okay. it looks like um but these are all characters of um people of color uh, men and women who are all competent at their job they are part of the battle and they survive right it's just not the leads who come out of it unscathed you know um they you know they're all in there and and it's got some really strong female characters i mean you've got vera farmiga who Mm. turns out to be kind of the villain villain ish yeah sort of villain um Accompanied by a, a very, very Tywin Lannister-esque Charles Dance. It's, yeah. <laughs> like, he is just, that's just as... That's just what his career is going to be, I feel. From, from now, now on, on, where he's just, like, a grumpy, dismissive man who, like, right. is condescending to everybody around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he does that wonderfully, again, in this movie. But, um, I mean, so you've got this scientist who creates this thing, and obviously she uh, she contributes to, I don't know, worldwide mass destruction. Yeah. But she does so competently, I guess. Uh, 
And then you have um, Colonel Foster, who is totally badass, um, is, you know, goes into combat as a sniper. Her team totally respects her and follows her direction, her orders without question. Um, so I just was really impressed with that. Um, and then, you know, Elizabeth Ledlow being the pilot. Uh-huh. So often these are roles that are, have traditionally just gone to dudes like, yeah, to guys and to have your commander being a woman. And it's not actually even, it's never commented on that. She's a woman. It's never really brought up. Right. But it's just, that's who it is. Mm -hmm. And, and she's played by an African-American woman. Right. Um, is it's really cool because it really means that like you can go into like you should be able to go into these movies and not have to worry not not be surprised when the badass pilot isn't some isn't a guy right right that it can be female Mm -hmm. um when your commander who of your um military wing of of your research vessels and stuff like that right. is totally competent and articulate and strategic mm-hmm. and is a woman, you know, right. like it just, it's really nice and refreshing to see that. And I look forward to the time when I can sit into a movie and not be like, oh my gosh, it's so awesome to see these strong female characters or these competent um people of color in positions where they're not kind of killed off in the first fight or the first foray. Right. So, um, so I really appreciated that. I thought it was really, really good. I kind of feel like the Shirazawa death was kind of very much like a... Ken Watanabe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that it was very much more of a, like, the last samurai death type of thing. Um, which I felt was a little heavy-handed, <laughs> but um, the subtlety is not something this movie does. No, no, at no. All. This movie is not subtle. No, and so I felt like that moment was a little like, oh my goodness, come right. on. Um, but I did. Uh, outside of that, I just I really liked it, and I really liked this movie. Yeah, for that reason. I mean, that was yeah. just a, it, like it feels like it's a it should be such a natural casting decision, and mm-hmm. yet. It matters, you know, and it was really cool to see. Yeah. So I appreciated that. Okay. All right. So uh, for my second one, I'm going to preface it by talking about a little thing from my from my childhood. <laughs> so when I was a kid in elementary school, our library had these series of books that like were all about um, old Hollywood monster movies uh-huh. like they and there was a, a book about frankenstein and there would be one about the wolfman and about dracula and whatever and they even had some about these japanese monsters like godzilla etc and i love those books they're black and white pictures talked about the movies what the what the character supposed to be like and i read them all and uh of course godzilla was my favorite but i uh kind of a I don't know, a, a secret, low-key, maybe second favorite of mine was Rodan. Oh, yeah. Rodan uh, actually had his own movie back in the day. 1956, uh, Rodan had his own movie. 
which is why uh, in this movie he is at uh, Secret Monarch Station 56. Right. And uh, just his emergence in this movie, uh, I feel, is incredible. Yes. There's a lot of really just beautiful, just massive, cool... Uh, effects-driven imagery in this movie, and I really liked when Rodan shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, he emerges out of the top of a volcano. Right. Uh, they talk about how his name means like fire demon. Uh, he apparently has like lava for blood or something. Right. Uh, and he and he is he like he's like glowing like kind of like that magma you see from exposed lava. Right. And just it's along cracks and ridges. Yeah, and, yeah. His, yeah, and just like uh, and when he you see it in the trailer, he flies over this town and just flying over the top of it, just rains like destruction, destruction over yeah. it. And also, it just it's really fun and cool. Like he ends up like taking out a bunch of fighter jets. Mm-hmm. And the, the way they have him doing it is really neat to watch. I yeah. mean, the second time, it was just as cool as the first time. Right. Like, spinning around, like, fly, jumping, like, really high up in the air, coming back down. Um, and just, and culminating in him, actually, they because they're trying to drive him, because I know Ghidorah's coming that way. Right. And so they're trying to get them to meet, you know, kind of fight each other. And it culminates in them... Like, Ghidorah, apparently, when he's flying around, like, creates a storm or something. Right. And so a there's... Tropical a tropical storm. Tropical storm. So Rodan ends up flying into the midst of this tropical storm where you see Ghidorah in his three heads looming in the clouds and they clash. And it's just... That whole sequence is... That is incredible to look at. Agreed. It's so cool. And, uh, and so... And, and just... Uh, and the... When you're watching a movie like this, this is what you want. You want, you know, these giant. You want them to look good for one, oh, yeah. right? Uh, and then and then to clash the way they do and just look so cinematically majestic. And I think that sequence does a great job of that. I was really happy because you know, do really like that the idea of Rodan, the monster Rodan, mm-hmm. and he'll never have his own movie again. I'm sure. Like, right. he will only exist as a supporting character in a Godzilla movie, ever, again. So that they put him in this, and they gave him such an awesome entrance. Yeah, they talk about um, how the director, uh, uh, Dotri, Michael Dotri, Michael Dotri yeah. like, he doesn't ever come out and say that Rodan is his favorite character, uh-huh. but there's all sorts of, like, tweets to that effect, you know, where he's, like, paying... Like mad respect to Rodan. Yeah. So, uh, I think I think uh, he would agree with you that it is a favorite. Okay. Um. Well, I'm going to go with my next favorite thing, and this is really the thing I love most about it. Uh-huh. Um. Because you kind of talked a little bit about it with just how amazingly beautiful the imagery was when Rodan breaks out of the volcano mm-hmm. and like the scene where just his wings are like like he's literally ripping them out of the earth uh-huh. into the air so beautiful um and that's really I think one of the things I love most about this movie yeah. um this movie could be terrible and have like a horrible <laughs> plot line um and be some of the worst acting on the planet right but the imagery that there, there are 
moments in this movie that are so cinematically beautiful Mm -hmm. and uh, magnificently terrifying at the same time that are, I mean, they're just gorgeous. Like, um, so the scene with Rodan, right? Um, There's another scene where as they're leading Rodan into the tropical storm where um, Ghidorah is, like they picture, they pan out and you've got the ship or the flying, whatever, um, Argo, the, right, the, the giant the military giant plane. stealth bomber. Right. Um, and you've got, you know, a picture of Rodan with his wings that are like, you know, like still sparking flames off of the base of his wings and yeah. are, that are tinged with red. And he's reaching out with his claws, much like a hawk, to grab the Argo out of the air. Right. And it's, it's stunning. It's a gorgeous photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are there are two other scenes that I feel like I that really were I just kind of they're in my brain. Um, they're so beautiful that they are the type of thing where I'm like, I would take a print of that and mm-hmm. post it on my wall, like a giant poster. Yeah. Um, and the one of those is, and there are many, but there are just two that I really think are great. And one of them is. Um, Ghidorah, when he's on top of the the lava mountain, the, yeah, you know and he's sitting up there. What is it? The island, um, Isla de Mara. Yeah, you know it's where Rodan broke out, out of, of, and he's sitting there, and um, it's like uh, Ghidorah spreads his wings up to the air, yep. and extends his three necks and heads, um, and it pans out. You just see this beautiful image of this like you know, alien creature, which ultimately is what Ghidorah is. And it's so picturesque. And then you have Rodan at the base of the hill bowing submissively to, Mm -hmm. to, uh, to Ghidorah. And, um, and it's with all these reds and golds and black, you know? Yeah. And it's so pretty. Like, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. Um, and it's pretty, it's beautiful. So, like, that's one of the images. And then the other one is right at the end during the climactic battle. Um, again, it's Ghidorah. Um, one of his heads bites onto a power plant. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. basically yeah. are, uh, you know, absorbing the energy from the power plant. And then it's just a quick scene. And, again, it's it's Ghidorah flaring its wings out and yeah. all three heads raised. And it's got this these gold lightning shooting from the wingtips. Um and it's, I mean, that image, like just screen capture that image. And it's mm-hmm. beautiful with Godzilla in the frame and you get to see his back. So it's just like, honestly, this movie could have some terrible acting in it. And I would still. And maybe it does. We'll get there. <laughs> um, it still is. It's still stunningly beautiful. Yeah. With the imagery mm-hmm. that are there. Um, I mean. There are lots of other times that are also great. You know, um, Godzilla in the water when he's doing his display of dominance. Mm -hmm. You know, that's super cool. Oh, yeah. Um, Mothra as, you know, in her butterfly form, super cool. So, I mean, it's I just have to say that's one of my favorite things about this movie is they made a monster movie that was also crazy beautiful Mm -hmm. with the imagery that they created. Yeah, the one that you talked about, uh, 
oh, at first, like where Ghidorah is standing on top of the volcano mm-hmm. with his wings spread. And you know, and that's the thing about like Ghidorah. He has like lightning powers right. as opposed to like, uh, like Godzilla's atomic breath or whatever. So you can see some lightning. He's on top of that. He's backlit. And in the foreground is a cross. Right. Yeah, you're showing me a picture of it. There's like lava. He, I mean, it's like this, this beast that maybe came straight out of hell. Standing on top of this lava-drenched volcano with a cross in the foreground, I'm like, "Is that's is that not like a Slayer album cover? Right, come to life. I mean, it's something like that, and it is incredible. And it's not the and it would be one thing if maybe that was the only shot like that in this movie, right. but it's not. Right, there are multiple ones that just look that incredible. I yeah, absolutely. I think that that's that. Like I said, that's one of my favorite things about it is just how. How beautiful it is. I mean, now, it's totally terrifying. These monsters are huge. Yeah. And the movie does a great job of displaying how huge and destructive they can be. Mm. Um, but at the same time, they're still just incredibly gorgeous. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that is... That was... There we go. That's... That's yours? Okay. That's my number two. Okay. Well, for my last thing... I just said, anytime Godzilla and uh, Ghidorah fight. Yeah. Because they tussle, I think, three times during the course of this movie. Yeah. And each time it happens, it's uh, great. Um, It's some of the coolest visuals of the movie. We've already said that there's a lot of that. Like the first one where it takes place where, is it, I don't know, in the Arctic or Antarctica? Antarctica. Wherever. Hey, that matters. (laughs) And... Uh, Ghidorah, they're like, he's broken out of his ice. He's like frozen in a bunch of ice, and the bad guys break him out of that. And he's wrecking shop, and he's looking like he's about to kill some of uh, some of the good guys. And then you hear uh, what you recognize from the first movie that kind of the hum, mm-hmm. the hum of like when uh, the spines on Godzilla are, are like are charging up. Maybe he's gonna like unleash some atomic breath, and he comes up out of the ice himself. Right. And it's, really cool and all of a sudden there's like this great wide shot where they're like where one's on one side and one is on the other just before they charge at each other and it looks great Uh looks so cool and that that first fight was really fun to watch Uh, you know kinda I don't know I'll call it a draw Um, (laughs) you know nobody wins Uh, and then eventually like uh, there's like at the end uh, where Ghidra and Rodan after they kind of clash, uh, Godzilla comes up out of the water and pulls right. Ghidra down into the water. Yes, it's so uh, cool. Really and then, of course, there's the final climactic uh, showdown in Boston mm-hmm. uh, where uh, Godzilla and Ghidorah meet again. And uh, it's just all sorts. It's just a huge light show. Oh, yeah. Where they're glowing all sorts of different colors, like the lightning after Ghidorah pulls a bunch of uh, electricity out of a power plant. Mm-hmm. And it's just, just it is. It looks as good as it could look. Yeah, I mean, it is what, like I in the last podcast I talked about the times I watched some of the old Godzilla movies, you know, and I liked them and I liked watching them. But the entire, but always when I watched those old movies, I in the back of my mind I was like, I wish this looked better. Mm-hmm. I wish this was better because I I know what this is. It's, right, right, and this is I think what in the back of my mind what I wished it could be. Right. And it is everything my childhood brain <laughs> wished God, a Godzilla movie could look like. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. those those three throwdowns between the two. Because really, 
you know, whatever. And we talked about the cast, and, th- and that's great. You know, those are... This is a monster movie. Godzilla and Ghidorah are the leads of Correct. this movie. Yes. You know, the hell with the human characters. They're the leads in this movie, and the, time, and the times that they are on screen together are electric. Right. I think, um, you know, in the first movie... They, uh, Godzilla was on screen for less than 12 minutes. Which, weirdly, according to IMDb, is actually one of the longest times, screen times for any Godzilla movie huh. for him. Well, they made up for, like, they, they, they set a new record with this one. Because right. Godzilla is, is in this movie, is in this one a lot. Yeah. Um, which is good. I mean, I think that yeah. it, it's nice to see him again. I think, if anything, that's. It makes me like 2014's version even better mm-hmm. because it left audiences wanting more. And so this movie delivers that. Mm-hmm. So with yeah. a, a bunch of other cool yes. Godzilla monsters. Yeah. So. I agree. All right. Have we all done three? Or have you had one? Uh, no, you I just third? did two. Oh. What was your, was your third, the Godzilla versus Ghidorah? Yes. Oh, okay. So my third is there's a measure of intelligence that they really, um, that these Titans have Mm -hmm. that is different uh, than like the first ones. Like the first movie was very much about kind of forces of nature. Sure. And so you had Godzilla responding to the Mutos Mm -hmm. that were, um, you saw some semblance of kind of intelligence there and decision making but uh it was very much more about nature right right and this movie is much more you see intelligence in all of these primary creatures in um Ghidorah almost with this like villainous glee at killing people like Ghidorah wastes no time kind of processing the fact that like okay uh, things have definitely changed in, in the world, but uh, those pesky human things are still there, and I like to kill them. You know, <laughs> like, um, in fact, one of the heads, after incinerating people, goes down and is, like, licking at the ashes. Right. Yeah. Right? And so you have, um, there's there's intelligence there. Ghidorah um, is fighting Kong for dominance of all of the Titans, and then... His, when he kind of rests control from the orca, you know, which is Mm -hmm. the wavelength that the, you know, humans are giving out to wake them up. um, He is very clearly telling them like, okay, we're going to, we got to destroy all this stuff. Right. Um, For, and they talk about it, tearing things down to almost remake the world, Um, which makes sense. He's an alien creature. He needs his home. You know, he wants to feel like home. You know, <laughs> okay. So, yeah. which is nothing like our our planet, yeah. Uh, that he landed on. Um, so you know, so that's an interesting idea, but that Ghidorah is intentional about this, mm-hmm. and also that Ghidorah is not only responding to the like Orca's alpha call as a rival, but is also tracking it down, um, looking for the source mm-hmm. and trying to destroy the source. Yeah. You know, um, and is, is exhibits intelligence enough to know that it's not another major large titan, yeah. that it's one of these pesky humans that he likes to kill. 
Um, Godzilla also displays a different level of intelligence than in the first one. You get a little bit, little glimpse of that in terms of Godzilla, um, wrecking, like seeing people, but not acting aggressively towards them. In fact, for the most part, ignoring the people. Right. Um, and in this one, for the most part, he kind of does that and he responds to them, not with fear or with anger, but for the most part, either mild indifference right. or tolerance, mm-hmm. you know, um, which does lend almost more credibility to Ken Watanabe's statement where um, somebody says, oh, you want to make Godzilla our pet? And he's like, no, we would be his. Right. And it, I mean, you almost see Godzilla kind of like, oh, oh okay, you're one of the people. Okay, you're fine now. You just go along your little, you know, like, uh, and ignores them. Yeah. Um, and Rodan, like Rodan's destructive ability of the planes and the fighter jets that's intelligence that's not just yeah that's yeah you know the the spinning in the air to yeah. with he didn't have to do it that way right that was a little like uh show panache. off that was yeah, yeah that was, that was yeah. being a little bit of a show off yeah. <laughs> but um so i just think that that is that's an interesting component but it's a good one because in kong skull island Mm-hmm. They really established that Kong is is an intelligent creature, yeah, right. right? And not just because he is related to he's essentially a giant gorilla, and gorillas are are very intelligent very intelligent animals. animals. Sure. But be, it, it's very much from a perspective of like, well, if Kong is intelligent, right? Mm-hmm. Then clearly other creatures that have survived throughout history need to have a measure of intelligence beyond just animalistic right. territorial behaviors. Yeah. So, so anyway, I just thought it was an interesting idea that they did they did well without explicitly stating these guys are really smart. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you watch if you look looking through like the kind of the trivia components on IMDb for this movie, the director Michael Doherty uh, speaks to um, specifically to Ghidorah that it's that monster specifically acts uh, not with animal instinct, but he is sadistic. Right. Deliberate intent. Deliberately. Deliberately intent. And not good intent either. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's also, that's very interesting. And just the idea that, you know, they've been around for who knows how long, right? And mm-hmm. so that they, that they would have this centuries of experience. Yeah. That would make, that would lend to make them, you know, smarter than your average, you know, wildlife creature, I guess. Well, and they even give, I mean, because they're, of course, there are all these legends of these guys, which just ones I'd like to find in advance, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but also they have uh, these cave drawings of, like, people honoring them. Right. Worshipping yeah. them almost, yeah. Right. So or- it's clear that these creatures are also like, we know what you are. Like, they know yeah. what humans are. So there's also not that level of, like, what is this strange, pesky little thing? Like, they yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. So that's three apiece. Uh, before we do a couple of honorable mentions, uh, do we? Do you want to revisit the, uh, the beer? Um, I would have to say that it is still okay. Okay. Um, the guava is a little overwhelming, mm-hmm. I have to say. Like, so maybe if it were... If the guava were less powerful, right, or if they had chosen maybe a different 
uh, fruit, right? That might be okay. Mm. I did see on the website that at the Alberta Brew Pub they have a cherry mochi mm. uh, IPA, so that seems kind of interesting, right? Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to say like I like hazy IPAs, but right. I, milkshake IPAs are not my thing. Like, yeah, I think as I've been helping you drink this as well. What this is a big what the 16 ounce can. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. It's too much. I don't want that much of this. Yeah. It's like, it's too sweet. I would want maybe half of that. Yeah. I also feel like... The milk sugar. It's the milk. I can really taste it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what it is. That and, and the guava is too overpowering. Mm-hmm. Because I'll take a swallow of it and I'm like, oh, this is not bad. Oh, there's the milk and guava. Yeah. Like, you know, and so there are, there are hints in there that I think I would really like. Um, but I think it's also because this is, because it's got that milky flavor mm-hmm. to it, it's not a summer beer for me. No. It's, yeah. That horchata yeah. flavor that I feel is just, yeah. Like, on a really, really hot summer day, mm-hmm. I don't want a cold glass of milk. Right. You know? Um, and I don't want milk. Well, I mean, I was going to say I don't want milk flavored things, but you know, whatever. Ice cream is great. Um, but I don't like, this is not a hot summer beer for me. No. And I think that's part of the reason that I need it in the right context. Okay. So, right. Okay. So I'll... I want to like it. Right. More than I do. do. Okay. All right. So. Honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Uh, Bradley Whitford is the secret weapon of this movie. <laughs> I uh, knew you were going to say that. He's about the only person who is allowed to have any sort of sense of humor and allowed to say bring any sort of levity to the right. situation. They give him all the funny lines. And he does about as good as you could do with what mm-hmm. they give him. Um, Especially with nobody else. Every That's the problem with this movie. We'll get to the negative stuff later. But yeah. But Bradley Whitford, it's almost like he's playing... A distant cousin of the guy he played in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah. He, Agreed. He gives him, they give him all, just about all the funny lines in this movie. And he uh, delivers for the most part. So yeah. if he were not in this movie, it would be way more of a drag. At least when the humans are on screen. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I loved the commitment to world building yeah. in this movie. That's my honorable mention. Um, I mean, they they immediately are diving into with the like scattered news stories about you know the Titans and with with Godzilla and and King Kong. I mean, they're they're yeah. fully committed to this world where both Godzilla and King Kong have been discovered right. and the world knows about them. Yeah. <coughs> um, they even have a website. It's called Monarch. Uh, sciences yeah and it's a website where you can go and they have like different monarch outposts but like you can actually post a picture of something and be like is this a titan to it so like you can like it's very interactive okay and so i mean yeah they're fully committed to this this world that is going through massive devastation Mm-hmm. Um, and and where people are going to struggle to coexist with monsters. Yeah. So I just it it was 
it was a full commitment. Right. And I appreciated that. Yeah. I appreciated that as well. Um, I'm going to also say that I, speaking of that commitment, that they went ahead and weren't like, Ghidorah is not from Earth. Because that is a thing that is from the old movies. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of surprised that they just went ahead and threw that in here too. Oh, he's an alien. That's why he's in whatever way different from the other monsters. He's not from Earth. Mm -hmm. I was like, good. Might as well just throw in that there's aliens too. Well, you might as well. There are giant monsters. And I don't know what, Hollow Earth. We're going to get to that under things (laughs) I didn't like. Um, So, yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, well, you were kind of already alluded to it, but like both the beginning and end credits, um, I really, again, and even in the last Godzilla movie, I feel how they're really clever and how they use them to also involve in the storytelling. In this right. case, that was part of the world building because you saw, uh, new stories of, you know, of what happened five years ago and the opening credits and how things have evolved and the end credits, there's all this fallout from what happened and they talk about how like uh the existence of the titans has helped which i i feel a little ridiculous but they help like but apparently they've they've helped the the uh, environment and the ecosystem like rebuild itself right right but they also they refer to they also build things towards uh godzilla versus kong where they talk about uh skull island and there's titans converging on skull island i think i saw uh, one Mm -hmm. of the news articles saying there's another egg, which may, according to like what I read on IMDb, it may have been an allusion to like there Mothra. might be another Mothra. Right. Uh, yeah. And a lot of other stuff that just is kind of building towards whatever is going to come next, you know, that is wound, wound into the credits, which is really fun. Right. So I really like, I appreciate, I really like that. So, cool. Um, those, I mean, that was my biggest honorable mention. I think yeah. I covered the things that I liked because the things that I liked were so big. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know that I have. Okay. More. More. I mean, yeah. bioacoustics were was an interesting idea, but, uh, and it, we'll get to that some more. Yeah. So I guess we'll just get into the things we didn't like. Yeah. Um. All right, the pseudoscience. I'm sorry, I got to go first. All right. The, like, I get, like, all monster movies have to have a suspension of disbelief, right? Yep. Like, your suspension of disbelief is yep. that there are giant monsters. Uh-huh. So, okay. But then they have to keep throwing in things like hollow earth. I mean, and I guess if you believe in a world where there's a Godzilla, like, you you're, you can go there. Godzilla exists. Kong mm-hmm. exists. I guess why not go with a hollow earth theory or like there are these vortexes like, oh man, that one hurt. It hurt worse the second time. Yeah. Um, this idea of like bioacoustics. Yeah. That somehow like first we have to emit a bioacoustic wave to have any, to be able to communicate with these guys. But then, um, but then also, like, apparently Godzilla can just hear our human bioacoustics. Well, I mean, probably got big ears. He's a big guy. Yeah. I I don't know. I just was kind of like, I mean, I guess you needed your scientific device to wake up the monsters. However. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I will say this. So for all of the things that they do, the idea that, like, so the idea of like the alpha uh, male or the alpha in like, because they kept alluding to like, like wolves, they're like wolves. But like, that has actually been, that theory has been debunked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, ex- by the exact same scientist who proposed it. Like, they proposed it. Everyone was like, that's totally how packs work. And then they did more research. And then they came back and was like, no, we were wrong. Because that's what science does, right? Right. Uh, it actually works differently. But it, clearly the movies latched on to the wrong science. So, okay. Well, the movies didn't latch on to science. <laughs> yes, I know, but right, and uh, yeah, and that's there. Um, and that's the thing is, like with these movies, there's gonna be ridiculous, made up science talk. I know, but right? sometimes it but hurts. but it needs it needed to be better. I agree. That was one of my things that I didn't care for either. Well, first of all, it was too the movie's too long. I feel I think there's too much time devoted to the made up science. Stitions and the right. science talk. They're like, who cares? I mean, yeah. simplify it and move on. Right. Don't care about your MacGuffin science device. You spent too much time, too much time explaining make fake it, science. Right. You. I mean, spend less time. I would rather you spend less time on a dumber idea. To right. be honest. Uh, so yeah, that's that. I didn't care for that. Also, uh, the the very forced family drama element. Mm-hmm. didn't care i mean that's a bummer because like i i like all three of the actors Me involved too. in that all three of those actors are very good uh i'm i was really looking forward to seeing millie bobby brown in something other, other than strange strange right? things her and her theatrical debut theatrical debut i wish they gave her more shit to do mm-hmm. other than just be like a like bummed out teenager well, I, guess. I feel like that was the only accurate archetype, you know, like... I mean, just, a, yeah, it was just, I didn't care. I mm-hmm. didn't care. Right. I mean, it was like, it wasn't done well. I mm-hmm. Give a shit. Uh, yeah. Right. Whatever. I also wrote that down, like, this idea that, like, for five years, they've been unable... Like, I, I've i never lost a child, right? So sure. I could not fully imagine the pain of losing a child. Uh-huh. However. Right. Kyle Chandler's character devotes an inordinate amount of time to blaming Godzilla specifically for the death of his child. Mm-hmm. Not just, not not the death of the city or of, of many people in the city. Not wanton destruction. He's a scientist. He works for Monarch. He knew about these creatures. Right. Or at least a couple of them. And yet, like, the almost personal way in which he has internalized Godzilla did this to me. Yeah. You know? And so for that, he must be destroyed. I mean... Just the level of... just He's angry all the time at everybody. Right. It's just... It's just a bummer. Right. And I mean, and I guess, again, I don't, I don't know. I've never lost a child. So I don't know right. if that is a reasonable um, emotion to have. Right. Although it still felt like. Oh, yeah. It was very contrived. Forced. 
Yeah. You know? Um, and so it's hard because I didn't, I didn't relate to right. him as a grieving father five uh-huh. years later who was unable to move past that moment, which none of the family were, really. Right. I mean, neither was, um, neither was Vera Farmiga's character as the mother. Like, they had, they were literally frozen in that moment five years ago. And, and I guess I, that may be very accurate. Right. To people who are grieving, but I could not connect with that. Yeah, I felt like he was very being very like they like the someone decided this movie needed to have uh, the straight white male hero, mm-hmm. and it had to be him. And especially watching it the second time, I I mean, because they they find him, he's off in the what he's in Montana taking pictures of wolves, right, right, and they bring him in. And this wildlife photographer is better at military strategy than the military professionals, right? Right. Because he points out, oh, well, this is clearly like a... A dominance. Well, like the the bad guys are clearly doing like a decoy move. They're really, uh, you know... They're not going They're not going here. They're they're, they're deking you so they can go here. And he clearly... And he's clearly right... Right. In, but the, you know, and, but he's figured this out over the military professionals who have been involved with the monster program for the last five years. Right. Fuck off. No. <laughs> I was like, when I saw, when that, especially the second time we saw that, I saw that and I was like, Ugh, yeah, that's rough. That's right. rough. So, and just the idea, like, I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It just, it was a, they needed to have, a sympathetic character. Right. And what they created was a, tried to create was a sympathetic family dynamic mm-hmm. similar to the first one. Because in the first one, you have, you know, Ford. Right. Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth. Trying to yeah. get back to his wife and child. Right. And so here you have an estranged husband. Right. Trying to get back to his estranged wife and child. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like... That was, that was, it It just didn't work. You, no. can't, you can't do it twice. No, I was expecting from watching the trailers that Millie Bobby Brown, I was like kind of expecting that like maybe her mom had somehow incorporated her into the experiments on the monsters. Yeah. And so because of that, she had some connection to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, why not? That, you know, everything else that they put in this movie, why not that? Right. But I was kind of like bummed out that that wasn't the case and she was just, Kind of along for the ride. Right. Yeah. That her mom had kind of like cultishly indoctrinated her to believe that we are going to release all the monsters in honor of your brother. Yeah. That's my other thing that I don't like is the ultimate villain plot is a a way dumber version of the Thanos. Right. Uh avengers infinity war in game plot where he's just looking like humanity is doing the earth bad so we're gonna unleash all these monsters to kill most of humanity right. and that'll bring the earth back around right and that was my first thing i guess the eco-terrorist yeah it's a bad idea bit, yeah like a, it was tired yeah that basically, and the and the fanatic eco terrorist who believes to bring balance to the world, we must first destroy it. Right. Uh, I mean, okay, I I don't know. Like it just was like frustrating, 
And and then it mm. it followed the trope of the fanatical eco terrorist who then who then afterwards realizes that millions and billions of people are going to die and is horrified by the work that she's done. Right. Like, I mean, Charles Dance like rips her a new one where he's like. What did you think was going to happen? I actually like, appreciated that scene, to be me honest. Me too. Yeah. Like, that's one of the best scenes where he's like, stop acting like all horrified that people are dying. If you didn't know that was going to happen, right. what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You know, you reached out to me. You wanted to get on board with this idea. You came up with this plan. Right. And now, after you've implemented it, now you're suddenly like, maybe we went too far. Yeah. You know? So I appreciated that speech. I felt like it was absolutely kind of on point. It was what the audience had wanted to tell her. Like, yeah. I don't feel bad for you. That was the other thing is somehow we were supposed to feel bad for her and like her redemption to try and save her daughter. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, I don't like you. Mm-hmm. You knowingly led a... Uh, an eco-terrorist into your facility knowing he was going to kill all your colleagues. Right. And you're okay with that. Yeah. You're okay with these people that you work with side by side dying. Yeah. I don't know. So I didn't like that. Yeah, me either. It didn't, I, I didn't have any sympathy for Vera Farmiga's character at all. No, no. Same. Alright, so uh, do you have any other... Um... No, those were the big ones. Yeah, for me too. And now that we've gone over all those things that we didn't like, here's where I'm going to go back to why... Uh, so this we spoke earlier about like how this, this movie got uh, a bit of a... Uh, I wouldn't say savage, but it didn't get good. Like right now, critical uh, percentage on Rotten Tomatoes is 40%. Right. Uh, audience score, like 85%. Um, I typically don't look at the audience score because we know that that can be kind of gamed. Right. But that's typically, but that's typically been, you know, um, uh, angry man children looking to submarine a movie involving women being cool. I haven't seen an instance where someone has tried to game the system to make something look better. Right. So in this kind of sense, I'll give a little more credence to the audience score, but like, uh, I was really bummed out when I saw the the critic score before we saw it the first time because I was really looking forward to this. Mm -hmm. And then we saw it and I was like, well, that seems a little rough. And so I went back and I read some of the reviews and I just got to say to some of the critics, what do you want? I mean, (laughs) there are so many critics who would talk about some of the old Godzilla movies with this kind of reverence. And then before they started kicking this new movie as being stupid and goofy and poorly plotted and made no sense. Did you not fucking watch any of those old Godzilla movies? Outside of the... I mean, I haven't seen them all. I'm going to say that up front. But outside of the first one, the original Godzilla movie, which I feel is still a kind of dark, legit, you know, sci-fi meditation on science gone wild in the atomic age, all the rest of them are goofy as hell. He's fighting weird-looking monsters that come from somewhere else, or the humans have come up with some goofy, weird science, whatever, to try to beat him this time. He's high-fiving monsters at the end of some of them, legitimately. Godzilla is high-five. I mean, and ultimately, it is 
a man in a clearly in a rubber suit stomping on matchstick buildings. Why is that put on a pedestal over this? Right. I don't get it. This is the same thing with special effects that are light years better. Right. So what I just I just blew my mind to read some of those reviews. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. It doesn't deserve that kind of beating. I, I agree. F- I feel it is way more fun. Um, if you're gonna see this movie, if you like, if you see, oh, it's getting bad reviews. Maybe I'll check it out on you know Netflix or whatever. No, it, if you can go see it in a theater on the biggest screen you can find. Yes. That is where you go see it. Like this is almost IMAX. Like, yeah. this would be cool on that. Or, uh, you know, if you've ever been to OMSI, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, it's oh, got yeah. that, like... The Omnimax. Yeah. Screen. Omnimax screen. Yeah. I would love, love to this. watch this movie yeah. on that screen. Yeah. Because then you're going to see Ghidorah in all of his 591 feet tall glory. Right. And it's going to feel like right. he's 591 feet and you're tiny. Yes. You know? So, I wonder if we could talk to OMSI about that. I wonder, we'll have to check their schedule and see if mm-hmm. it shows up there later in the summer. But yeah, I just had to say that because I feel that was unfair. Yeah, I Completely definitely unfair. think the critics were way I off mean, base with it. What, I mean, come on, what are you expecting out of a, out of a, what do you want out of a monster movie? Right. I mean, I'm not going to a Godzilla movie for the human drama. Right. Especially since that was the primary drawback is the attempt at human and drama. drama. Right. Just make it about the monsters. Right. Okay. So I guess that'll be it then for our Godzilla series. Yes, for now. For now. Until, uh, oh, it's interesting because uh, Godzilla vs. Kong is, was scheduled to come out next March. Right. And they're already talking because this financially isn't doing as well as they thought they might push it back. I don't know. Oh, that would be too bad. That would be too bad. Millie was, Bobby Brown is in that movie too. Yes. I hope that they give her more to do cool things to do i suspect at some point in time kong will kidnap her yeah if that doesn't happen that's a missed opportunity what that is (laughs) uh yeah so uh so yeah um next week though uh i think we've already decided yeah speaking of movies taking a kicking critically i think we're gonna we're gonna go see just how bad this x-men dark phoenix movie is correct will be interesting as i've is it's i mean it i think it's getting a worse beating than godzilla is oh absolutely absolutely it is although there is one critic whose opinion i tend to respect uh who uh said on twitter that um in his opinion there's a couple of the x-men movies that he thinks are better than a lot of the marvel movies Dark Phoenix isn't one of those, but that he feels it's better than what it's getting. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. But he also kind of liked um, Donna Justice, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Anyway, uh, but anyway, thanks for listening to the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. Uh, and uh, if you liked or didn't like uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters... Uh, let us know and tell us what you thought. How are we wrong? How are we right? Right. Email the podcast to ddkpodcasting at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, we'll actually read an email should we get one. And uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, a bunch of other places where you can find podcasts. 
so yeah. Um, so I guess that's it until next week when we're. Oh wait, wait. Oh no. So. <laughs> you no, know, sometimes I like I said like we usually try to end with a recommendation of something. Right. And, uh, and I'm really bad at remembering those sorts of things. But I gotta do this week because I gotta recommend. Uh, the Portland Horror Film Festival. That's right. You spent this last week there. It was the first film festival of any kind that I've ever been to. It was four nights or four days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I went to all of them. Uh, Six feature uh, film movies, 40-something short films. I didn't see every single thing, but I saw most of them. And it was so cool. I liked it so much. Uh, the first night uh, culminated in a movie called Satanic Panic, which was a hell of a lot of fun. It's supposed to be in act- in off the uh, festival circuit and in theaters like in September. They had they reached a deal with some distributor to get in theaters in September. Um, there's a legendary uh, uh, guy in the horror field named Mick Garris, who was a writer, director, a bunch of other things, who was there. He directed the the Stand TV miniseries that was on back when in the, in the 90s, a bunch of other movies. He wrote the movie Hocus Pocus. I got to meet him, a real gentleman, cool guy. They gave him an award. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just all the movies, the short films especially, were super fun. I was mm-hmm. really surprised at how much I enjoyed that. There was a lot of funny, funny short films uh, in the in a horror film festival, there were a lot that made people laugh. So yeah, I I, I expect um, this is only the fourth year I think that it's been around. So should it continue, uh, I, I expect I would I would love to go again next year. And if if you have a chance to if you're in the area to check it out or go to something else similar, I do it. It was really interesting and fun to see uh, movies that you'll never see anywhere else. So. So uh, I'll re- I will recommend that. Yeah. Also, I met a guy who does a beer and movie podcast called the uh, Dread Fright and Brew podcast, where uh, they apparently pair beers with horror movies. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, out of Portland as well. So, so that's what I got. Okay. Do you have anything? No. Okay. Well, that's where we'll end it then. Okay. Okay. So uh, until next week, when we're going to talk about how. Uh, good or not dark phoenixes go see a movie and thanks everybody for listening